Bibles to Luke, the 24th chapter. Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack, and uh, we would encourage you to use that. Luke chapter 24, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses there in Luke chapter 24. I'll read them. I want you to follow along with me. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. The Bible says there, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, They said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves, and departed, wondering in himself that which was come to pass. Father, again, we are so very thankful for the celebration of the resurrection of our Savior. Thank you that the grave could not hold him. Thank you that because he lives, now we can live. We're thankful that he won the victory, not just over sin, not just over, over the grave, but over death itself. And Lord, now we're thankful that because he lives, those who will come to him, those who will put their faith in him, those who will receive him as their Savior can likewise live again. Lord, we ask for your blessing on the time we're going to spend in your word. I pray that hearts would be touched. If there's any here without Christ, I pray that today would be that day when they realize they're lost and on their way to hell, but Jesus came and died so that they might be on their way to heaven, and they'll come to him and receive him and put their faith in him. Lord, use me as your spokesman, as your messenger boy. Give me strength of voice and clarity of thought. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have in America many places that have been designated as historical sites. These have received that designation because each one has in some way been a, had a profound effect upon the fate of our nation and all who live there. We have, for instance, Independence Hall in Philadelphia, where the Declaration of Independence was written and signed. It's also the place where our Constitution was ratified by the great framers of our country. We have places such as Washington's Crossing and Valley Forge, both of which played important roles in the Revolutionary War. We have uh, the battlefield at Gettysburg, where the momentum of the Civil War was turned uh, from the south to the north. We have Pearl Harbor, where over 3,000 Americans died in an unprovoked attack by the Japanese on December 7, 1941. We have Daly Plaza, where President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in 1963. 
And we have the Twin Towers site up there in New York City where Terry has killed somewhere around 3,000 innocent people. These are just a few of the sites of the many in America that have been preserved because of the impact and the importance of them to the destiny of our great country. This morning, in a place called Israel, near the city of Jerusalem, just a few hundred miles east of the Mediterranean Sea, there's an historical site that has been preserved not so much by man, but by God himself. This site is the site of the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nearly 2,000 years ago, a series of events took place over a four-day period in and around the city of Jerusalem. Jesus Christ, who had proclaimed himself to be the Messiah, was arrested by the Romans at the urging of the Jewish leaders. He was tried by the Jews and Pilate, and he was beaten, abused, ultimately crucified. His body then was taken by two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, along with several of the women that followed Jesus Christ as they placed that dead body in a hollowed-out tomb that actually belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. A large stone was put in place to close the tomb. It was sealed by the Romans, and a Roman guard was placed to make sure that no one would come and steal the body of Christ. Early in the morning on the first day of the week, three days and three nights after he had been buried, the women came to the grave to anoint his body again. But when they arrived, to their amazement, the stone was rolled away. Christ's body was gone, and two angels declared to them that Christ indeed was alive. He had risen from the grave, just as he promised. See for yourself was the admonition. The tomb is empty. Today that tomb is still empty. Every year, multitudes of people will go to that site and will be able to see for themselves that the tomb is empty. Here, then, is a vitally important historical site and one that truly has a great impact on the destiny of every person in the world. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of the importance and impact of the empty tomb, what impact it has on each of us and how important it is to us. And the first thing I want to mention, the importance of the impact of the empty tomb, number one, because it proves the love, God's love for all mankind. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, world, that's every person in the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. You see, this empty tomb testifies to the life, the suffering, and the death of Jesus Christ. This tomb was once held by the real flesh and bone body of the Lord Jesus Christ. It testifies of his reality. Jesus is not some kind of mythical uh, uh, God. He's, he's not a made-up story or a fairy tale. He's real, and this place of his burial is real. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, truly lived on this earth for 33 and a half years, the Bible teaches us, was crucified, died, and was buried. And here is the tomb where that body once was laid to rest. This tomb verifies the biblical account of his death and of his burial. He suffered the awful abuse at the hands of the Roman soldiers. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was battered. 
He was spit upon. He, he, he was belittled. Oh, what suffering he, he partook of in our behalf. How he was taken to the place we call Calvary. And the Bible declares he was crucified there, crucified between two thieves. How when he had dismissed his spirit, his body then was taken down by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and was now placed in that what is now an empty tomb. This tomb reminds us that Jesus suffered and died, and it reminds us he suffered and died for us. Mankind was under God's condemnation. Man in sin and could, could not enter into heaven. Go over to John, if you will, chapter 3. John chapter 3. I want you to notice two verses in John chapter 3. If you're unable to find that, just sit still and pay attention. I'm going to read the verses for you. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's that condemnation that every man, woman, and child is under when they're born into this world. Verse 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We see here there's a condemnation on mankind, and God sent Jesus to pay the necessary penalty for our sin and to make a way for us to go to heaven. God gave his son for us. Jesus willingly went to that cross to pay for our sins. I should have hung there and died. I should have been crucified, the song says. Therefore doth my father love me, Jesus said, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. And then he said, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down for myself. Greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for us. Remember when we see Jesus hanging on that cross, he's hung there as a common criminal. But understand this, he hung there as a sinless man. He died the death of a criminal, but there was no charge that could be leveled against him. When Pilate examined him, he said, I find no fault in him. There were, he was sinless. He laid down his life to atone for our sins. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus, when he hung on that cross, and we hear him cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that very instant, God had gathered up all the sins of the past, all the sins of the present, and all the sins of mankind in the future. God had gathered them all up and placed them on Jesus Christ. And at that time, he was separated from his father, the only time it ever happened. And he cries out in agony as he's bearing the sins of the whole world, the just for the unjust. God's love for us put Christ into that tomb. He died to save us. He's died to take our place. A vicarious atonement, they call it. That's a big theological term. What it means is he took our place. Every one of us deserves to die the death that Jesus died. We're, we're, we're sinners in the, eyes of the angry, uh, in the eyes of God. And God's wrath is against sin. We cannot be with him in heaven. Uh, while we have our sin on us. Jesus came to take away our sin and to make a way for us. He died in our place. Now, when we look at this empty tomb, we're faced with visual proof of the depth, depth of God's love 
for every one of us. He gave his only begotten son in our place. We see the importance, we see the impact of this empty tomb. Number one, because it proves God's love for us. Someone said it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to that cross. It was his love for us that kept him on that cross. And I believe that's true. Number two, number two, the importance and impact of Christ's resurrection, it, or the empty tomb, it provides evidence of the truth of God's word. It provides evidence of the truth of God's word. In 1 Corinthians 15, we find this, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again according to the Scriptures. We're talking about the Word of God, and the fact that that tomb is empty verifies the truth of the Word of God. In John 5 and verse 39, Jesus said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. In the Scriptures we find many prophecies and many promises concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We find the Bible makes prophecies concerning him. We find prophecies concerning the birth of the Savior. In Isaiah chapter 7, 14, in Isaiah 9, verse 6, in Micah 5, verse 2, these are all verses that we see when we get Christmas cards and around Christmas time. But they're all verses that verify that God has prophesied his son would come. We find prophecies concerning his rejection and his suffering. Go over to Isaiah 53. I want you to see these verses in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. We have the prophecies concerning his birth. We have the prophecies concerning his suffering and his death. In Isaiah chapter 53, I have sticky pages. I have a new Bible. Isaiah 53. There we are. And in Isaiah chapter 53, I want you to look at verses 3 and 4. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So we read about his, his rejection and his prophecies. We find prophecies concerning his crucifixion. In verse 3 of that same text, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. We find prophecies concerning his burial. Look down at verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. And that tomb that he laid in, that tomb was, was from the man Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, and so far as we know, not a saved man. We find prophecies concerning his work of redemption in verses 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous 
servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There once again that testimony of how Jesus took our place. Go over to uh, Psalm 22. It's a little ways back there towards the front of your Bible. The 22nd Psalm, again, is a prophecy concerning his crucifixion. In Psalm 22, we'll start with verse 6. The Bible says, But I am a worm, and no man a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths, a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Oh, the word of God gives us many prophecies about our Savior. First of all, about his birth, and then about his death, and about his burial, and about his resurrection multitudes more prophecies concerning Christ are to be found his life his death his burial his resurrection and every one has been fulfilled the empty tomb is a testimony of that and reminds us every time we see that tomb that the testimony of the Bible is true and then the Bible gives promises concerning him the Bible is full of promises made by God concerning Christ promised all through the Old Testament starting with Genesis 3:15 all through the Old Testament, we find the promise of God that he's going to send the Messiah. He's going to send the Savior. And then we read that Christ would be the lamb that would take away the sin of the world. In Genesis uh, chapter 22, verse 18, we read the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham takes his son Isaac up on that mound according to God's instruction. And uh, he makes a, an altar up on top of that mountain. And he puts his son on that altar. And he's going to sacrifice his son per God's instructions. But then suddenly the son says, I see the wood and I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, God will provide himself a lamb. And then at that instant over in the thicket they saw a, a, a lamb caught up in the thicket, and that became the sacrifice. That was a picture of what God was going to do. He would provide himself a lamb, and that lamb is Christ himself. And then Jesus, not only in the word of God, but Jesus himself made some promises concerning his death and his resurrection. I'll paraphrase just a couple of them. In one place he said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. And he's talking about his body. Of course, the 
uh, Pharisees thought he was talking about the temple itself. But no, he was talking about this temple, the temple of his body. He said uh, in another place, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a whale, so must I be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And he was, that tomb is empty. The Bible makes some promises concerning our salvation as well. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, the Philippian jailer comes to uh, the apostle Paul and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the Bible declares, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Oh, I'm glad Paul didn't say go to church. I'm glad he didn't say be baptized. I'm glad he didn't say take the Eucharist. I'm glad he didn't say say the rosary. I'm glad he didn't say kneel on your knees and crawl up some set of steps somewhere. I'm glad he made it very simple and plain. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible makes some promises concerning salvation, not only in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, but in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise from Almighty God written in his word. You can look it up for yourself. It's a promise that God will grant eternal life in heaven to all who will put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not by works. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. It's not by anything we do. It's solely a gift from God, the Bible declares. And the only thing we can do is receive it or refuse it. Then I want you to notice a third reason that the, the empty tomb is so important and critical. It's the keystone in God's plan of salvation. You know, the last stone that's placed in the center of an archway is the keystone. And that's the keystone right in the very center of the top. And that very stone holds everything else together. If that stone is not there, everything collapses. Well, Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, is the keystone to our salvation. Our preaching, I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to notice what Paul writes there. Listen, that tomb has to be empty or there is no salvation. It has to be empty or we have no hope. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Christ's resurrection is that keystone. I want you to notice, he says there, uh, beginning with verse 14, that if Christ has not risen, in verse 13, he says that there would be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And in verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is vain also. First and foremost, if that tomb isn't empty, then our preaching is vain. It's empty. It has no power. We, ha we then have no gospel to share. Listen, friend, I'm so glad for the gospel message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, that, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad for that. But listen, if that tomb isn't, isn't empty, then we have no message to preach. We are, and then he says our faith is in vain. If that tomb isn't empty, then we, we believed in something that does not exist. If if that tomb is not empty, Jesus has become a false prophet, and we cannot trust in anything else he said. Then in verse 15, it tells us if, if Christ is not risen, then we are, we, we are false witnesses. That means when we go to share the gospel, we're deceiving people, and we're lying to people. 
oh, I'm so glad I have a message that I have absolute 100% confidence in is the truth, the truth of God's word. Then if he goes on, he says in verse 17, that if Christ has not risen, we're yet in our sins. Listen, many of you folks in this room have accepted Christ and believed on him to take away your sins and to forgive you of your sins. And, and uh, uh, if Christ has not risen, if that tomb's not empty, then we believe the lie and our sins are still on us and we have no hope of heaven. And then in verse 18, he says, uh, if, we, if, if that tomb is not empty and Christ is not risen, then they which also are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Let me tell you, I have many friends and I have some relatives up in heaven that I, I believe I'm going to see again one day because they died in Christ. They had been saved. Why, Mrs. Fidena just passed on not long ago. My good friend, Evangelist Bob Hamlin, passed on not long ago. And there are others I could call names of people. I believe my mother's in heaven. I believe my brother's in heaven. I believe there are some folks waiting for me there. But listen, if that tomb's not empty, if Christ is not risen, then there's no hope of ever seeing them again or ever getting to heaven myself. And boy, I'm so glad that tomb is empty and I have that blessed hope. Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive. He ever liveth, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The evidences are overwhelming. I'm still in 1 Corinthians 15, and we see the, the evidence beginning with verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve, after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Listen, the resurrection of Christ is a reality, and we see in 1 Corinthians 15 how Paul testifies of all the witnesses that saw him after he came out of that tomb. The tomb is empty today, and the tomb has ever been empty and always will be empty since Christ's resurrection. His resurrection was a necessity. The gospel message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Listen, it wasn't enough just for Jesus to be born of a virgin and to live a sinless life and then to die on that cross of Calvary. He had to go into that grave. He had to be buried, and he had to come out on the third day after three days and three nights. He promised he would come out of that grave. His failure to do so would have made him a false prophet and a phony. Now everything he said and everything he did proves him to be the Messiah. And then there's another reason for the importance and the impact of the empty tomb. It provides hope for all who receive Christ. His empty grave proves him to be the one and only Savior, the true Messiah. Jesus said in John 14, 6, For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only way. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, <coughs> Peter's speaking, and he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Listen, he's the only way. He's the one and only way. There is no other way. He, his empty tomb proves his promises are true. He promises to save those who come to him. I thought about Revelation 3.20, and where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. He's talking about he's at the door of the heart of every person, whoever lives. He wants to save them. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, God don't want anybody to die and go to hell. And God made a way for every person to go to heaven when they die. But that way is in Jesus Christ, and he's the only way. And unless a person is willing to admit that they're a lost sinner, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And unless a person is willing to acknowledge their sinful condition and understand they can't save themselves, and unless a person is willing to call upon the name of the Lord and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, putting away their religion, putting away their good works, putting off anything they could say or do, and realizing they have to put their faith completely in Christ for their salvation. Unless a person will do that, they'll never see heaven. They cannot be saved. God made a way, but there is only one way. The empty tomb promises a resurrection from the grave for all who receive him. We're all going to be resurrected when I preach funerals. Oftentimes, I will go over to 1 Thessalonians or I'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, let me read some verses there for you about this resurrection. Paul writes there, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting of death, the sting of death is hell, but God's delivered us from that. It reminds me of the story of the young fella who was in the car with his daddy going down the road, and this young boy saw a bee up on the windshield of the car, and he he started, he started getting all upset and, and yelling at his daddy, there's a bee, there's a bee, daddy, there's a bee. And his daddy said, calm down, son. And, and see, the boy was allergic to bee stings. He knew if that bee stung him, it could be very dangerous for him. And here's this bee right there above his head in the car. And his daddy pulled the car over to the side of the road. And his daddy reached up and he took that bee in his hand and he let that bee sting him. He received the sting that his son couldn't tolerate. He took it for his son. Listen, that's what Jesus did for us when he took the sting of death. He took it for us. We could not tolerate it. If we experience the sting of death, we're going to die and go to hell. But Jesus took that sting away, and now we don't have to die and go to hell. We can go to heaven if we'll just receive him. His empty tomb promises a resurrection, and his empty tomb offers hope to all. Listen, eternal life is available to one and only one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must come to him. I'm thankful that that tomb over there is empty. I've never seen it personally. Now, Gwen got to see it not long ago, but I believe it's there. I'm sorry.
And Joyce, Joyce, did you see it? Where's Joyce? Did you see the empty tomb? And I, you know, I'm glad people can still go and see that empty tomb. It's been almost 2,000 years, but it's still empty and it always will be. And it's a testimony. It's a sight that God has preserved for us so that he don't just have to tell us the tomb is empty. He can show it to us. People who have looked in there and there's nothing there. He's not here. He is risen. People say, well, somebody stole the body. No, nobody stole the body. Uh, what, a, what a fallacy that would be. What, a, what a, a, an impossibility that is. Think about this. If Christ was beaten and battered and in such bad physical condition as he was in, people say, well, so, uh, he didn't die on the cross. He just swooned, and they put him in there. When he was in there, he, re, he revived, and then he, he came out of that. Well, how did he move the stone if he was that beaten and that abused? Listen, friends. People try to deny the empty tomb, but it's there. And it's, it's you know, it's kind of in your face. Hey, deal with it. This is the truth. And that empty tomb is a testimony to us today. I want to remind you of the importance and the impact of that empty tomb. It, it testifies to the resurrection of our Savior. And as we sang, because he lives, now we can live. He purchased our resurrection. He purchased our salvation when he went to that cross, was buried and resurrected, and he wants to save you if you're not saved. Listen, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I would not assume in a group this large that everybody here has been saved, has received Christ as their personal Savior. I know many have, but I believe there's, there's probably several here who have never come to that place of receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Listen, friend, he's your only hope. There's hope in nobody else. Nobody else can give you eternal life. Nobody else can save you. But Jesus wants to and he will if you'll come to him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've come to that place where you realized you were a sinner and you needed a Savior and you called upon Jesus, would you just lift your hand as a testimony that you know him, you 